0: Welcome to Three Right Turns, a show where we try to figure out an accurate picture of what's going wrong in the world and then, eh, what the hell, try and fix it. I'm your host, Aaron, and I hope you enjoy this week's show. I've been threatening this topic for several shows now, but it's finally here. We're going to talk about the perils of 1st past the post or our winner-take-all voting system and how this impacts the wisdom and utility of voting for third parties, at least, again, here in the United States. This is almost certain to piss some people off, but like those chick tracks say they hate him because he told the truth but first a few things i want to promote a few people have asked and cecily's been hard at work on our merch store and now we finally got one merch.swizbold.com is where you can go if you want a sweet piece of swizbold three right turns or one weird trick merch you can get our logos emblazoned on just an improbable array of stuff in a dizzying amount of colors shirts hats aprons thermoses phone cases i mean hey Late-stage capitalism might have a black heart and a rotten core, but god damn can it make stuff. And we've harnessed this vast beast to do just that. I've got a charcoal heather, three right turns T heading my way, even as we speak. It's a great way to start a conversation. Maybe steer some of those difficult conversations with friends and families away from yourself and and on to me. I'm, I'm ready to handle it. i got broad shoulders here. Now, we also just had our monthly live stream for our patrons last Friday night. We talked about the murder of Ahmad Aubrey in uh, Georgia, the heavily armed protests we've been seeing around our nation over the coronavirus and the, the opening of the nation, parasocial relationships, and how we've been trying to stay healthy and sane right now with the crazy world you might have missed the live show, but all of our live streams are archived on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash If you sign up before June 1st, you can get in on that action and suggest topics and ask questions for the next one. Okay, now with that out of the way, let's talk about how we vote in these United States of America. As you may or may not know, there are many problems in how we organize and conduct politics in this country. Some people hate the Electoral College. Some people dislike how the Senate in the House apportions senators and representatives and how that ends up over-representing the interests of small states and values geographic space over actual people. Uh, we certainly don't work as hard as we should and must support every citizen's right to vote. We put up many artificial barriers to the franchise. We close down polling booths and disadvantaged neighborhoods. And many, many people decry the binary choices we're largely forced into, especially at the federal level, with our two-party system that we have here in America, especially when their favorite candidate didn't get the nomination, especially when the candidate that did win has perhaps severe character flaws, policy flaws, and their politics just simply don't align. Maybe you've heard Republicans decry rhinos, those dastardly Republicans in name only, and I can remember a time when Democrats bemoaned the existence of those blue-dog Democrats, a faction of Dems that support fiscal responsibility and centrist politics. Centrists limit extremism on both sides. And half of the population eligible to vote doesn't even bother, feeling like neither of the parties fairly represents them or their interests. Well, I have a solution for you. Why don't we give third parties a try, huh? Huh? If you want to get serious about saving the environment and fighting sexism, racism, and crony capitalism, get on board with the Green Party. If you want to privatize everything, lower taxes, increase trade and immigration, and smoke weed, libertarians are there for you. And if Republicans aren't conservative enough, well, there's the Constitution Party. And if those Greens aren't far enough left, there's always the Democratic Socialist of America, eh, comrade? All of these alternative parties offer attractive propositions to some voters, Fuck this lesser of two evils nonsense. I want to vote for a candidate that doesn't require me to compromise. If you're my age or older, maybe you remember when Ross Perot and the Reform Party had a much debated spoiler effect on the 1992 presidential race between the incumbent Bush the Elder and Bill Clinton. The prospect is tantalizing. And even if it seems third parties have little chance at winning, third-party candidates will be the first to tell you to do so anyway, because every little percent of support they get gets them more funding, more exposure, increased access to debates and press coverage, and if not this year, next time it's all going to come together for them. Besides, what are you going to do? Keep voting for the lesser of two evils? Well, that's all well and good, but unfortunately, supporting third parties is the perpetual motion machine of U.S. politics, and... I can prove it with math. Sure, it sounds good in theory, and you can make a lot of seemingly convincing arguments for it. Everyone agrees that if it worked, it would be great. But like perpetual motion, it's impossible under the current laws of the universe. But all you third party fans out there, before you get too frowny faced and flouncy, there is a glimmer of hope. Because unlike the universe, political laws and realities can be changed. So stick with me while I walk you through the bad news part. Now, a lot of the next part I'm going to be shamelessly plagiarizing from CGP Gray's fantastic video, The Problems with 1st past to post voting Explained. Because this video came out about nine years ago, and it was honestly a big turning point in my political evolution. Because prior to that, I was really excited and enthusiastic about third parties. I thought, these are the solutions. Our two-party system sucks. We got to have more viable options, of course. But what CGP Grey helped me realize is the shitty two-party system isn't some grand design. You're not going to find it enshrined in the Constitution. It isn't some conspiracy amongst Republicans and Democrats that's being perpetuated on the population either. Instead, it's an inevitable result of the way we run our elections in America. What do I mean by that? Well, let's discuss the video. And yes, I will be including it in the show notes because it's fantastic and it's going to condense a 50-minute podcast down to about 5 minutes. Because the guy talks fast, and he gets to use these really great visual aids, I mean, what can I say? Also, visual aids, kind of adorable, because they're all about animals, as you're soon going to see. And while you're there, check out a lot of CGP Grey's other videos, because he has so many excellent explanations for complex political, scientific, and sociological phenomenon that you're just bound to learn a lot and come away a better, more informed person. Okay, the problem to party politics. Let's suppose there exists an animal kingdom. This animal kingdom has been ruled over by the lions since time immemorial. But lately, they've been beset by unrest and protest over the lion's use of absolute power. The citizens of the kingdom want more of a say in how things operate. So the lion abdicates his crown and directs that the position of king become an elected one. He entrusts the transfer of power to his queen, the lioness. Now, the lioness sets forth two simple, common sense rules for the election of king. One vote per citizen, and whoever gets the most votes wins. Dead simple. This style of voting is known as first-past-the-post or or winner-take-all. Now, some of you, like me, might be wondering why it's called first-past-the-post. Well, that's because it's an elaborate analogy to a horse race. The first horse to cross the finish line, marked by a post, wins. It doesn't matter how large or small that margin of victory is, the first horse doesn't have to be faster than all the other horses combined. In fact, the winner horse can literally win by a nose, and they still win the whole race, because the winner takes all the rewards, which is why it's also known as winner-take-all. So this system has a lot going on for it. It's simple, it's logical, and it's fair. But it's also actually a terrible idea, and we're going to quickly see why as we analyze the first few election cycles of the animal kingdom's fledgling democracy. So as the Queen's decree echoes through the animal kingdom, there are a multitude of competing political theories and ideas, and several fresh-faced, enthusiastic, intelligent candidates step forth to espouse them. In the first election, running are monkey, owl, leopard, turtle, gorilla, tiger, and snake. After weeks of campaigning, it's time for the animals to go to the polls and have their voices heard. Now, the result of the first election is in, and here are the results. Turtle gets 9% of the animal vote. Monkey gets 18 Gorilla gets 19 Owl receives 13%. The leopard gets 20 And the tiger gets 15%, while the snake trails the pack at just 6% of the overall vote. Thus, leopard, having the most vote, is crowned the winner and gets to rule as monarch until the next election. Now, already, we see a problem with 1st past the post That problem is minority rule. The leopard only received 20% of the overall vote. Fully 80% of the animal kingdom preferred an entirely different ruler. Four-fifths of the subjects are going to feel unrepresented and thus resentful. Let's keep this in mind because it's going to be of recurring importance. The second problem is going to become apparent as we analyze more elections. So the leopard has had their time in power, and it's once again time to vote for a king of the animal kingdom. But since the animals are rational actors, they remember the results of the last election, and this is going to invariably influence their behavior in this new election cycle. This will especially be true of snake and turtle voters, who aren't dummies, and they realize they've backed unappealing, cold-blooded candidates who just don't have a chance in hell at winning. Turtle voters, who, if you'll recall, made up 9% of the electorate last election, and who really hate Leopard, largely defect to Gorilla, which you'll recall last time came in second place with 19% of the vote. Snake voters, on the other hand, have more in common with Tiger voters, but Leopard is running a really effective negative campaign against Gorilla, saying Gorilla's going to fling poo at everyone if given even half a chance, and hell, there's an element of truth to that, because Gorilla, you know, we don't like to talk about it, but he's been known to sling some shit. And out of fear of being covered with poo, they vote strategically for Leopard. Now, since turtle voters had 9% of that vote to the snake's 6%, and the other animals, ever hopeful, stood pat for their preferred candidates, Gorilla manages to eke out a slim margin of victory over Leopard, with now 28% of the vote to Leopard's 26 But snake and turtle, dismayed at their voters abandoning them in droves and citing the astronomical cost of running a campaign, drop out. Our seven parties have now become five. Now, Gorilla rules for their term, and at the end of it, once again, voters take information from the previous elections into account when filling out the ballots. And this election, it's the OWL voters, making up 16% of the kingdom vote, who realize their candidate doesn't have what it takes to win. Now, OWL voters, they're your pragmatic centrists. They don't fully agree with Leopard or Gorilla. Both Gorilla and Leopard know this about OWLs, so they run a series of targeted negative ad campaigns highlighting the others' tendencies to fling poo and eat faces in order to capitalize on the worst of the OWL voters' fears. This effectively splits the OWL vote, but it's important to realize that the OWL voter is no longer voting on which candidate they like or prefer, but instead which they see as the lesser of two evils. So the votes are cast, and slightly more owls were concerned with being covered in poo rather than having their faces eaten, so Leopard wins with 34% of the vote to Gorilla's 33%. Owl, seeing the dismal results for their own campaign, makes like Snake and Turtle and drops out. We're now down to just four parties. Boy, I tell ya, Monkey and Tiger candidates have a lot of soul searching to do. Monkey's very popular with his voters, and everyone will tell ya, he flings far less poo than Gorilla. And Tiger's very popular with their voters because he's all about face eating, doesn't hide behind any cat whistles, makes no bones about it. Actually, he makes a lot of bones about it. He makes big piles of bones because the Tiger's proposition is simple. You got a face, you don't got claws or teeth, he's going to eat it. And carnivores respect that authenticity in a candidate. But monkey voters don't have a lot in common with gorilla voters, but at the end of the day, gorilla doesn't eat faces, and monkeys have faces they don't want consumed at all costs. Tigers and leopards see eye to eye on the whole face-eating issue, but when they try to eat gorilla's face, he doesn't have any of it. In fact, he's liable to tear theirs off, which really puts a damper on their face-eating agenda, because after all, it takes a face to eat a face. So tiger and monkey voters must abandon their preferred candidate to avoid what they consider a worst case scenario. Once again, we have animal constituencies voting for the candidate they disagree with least rather than the candidate that they actually prefer. And if you've been paying attention to the percentages, you'll see the gorilla is going to narrowly eke out another victory over leopard this election. And you're going to be right, because Gorilla wins 51% to 49%. Monkey and Tiger are yet again forced out of future races because they have become non-viable. But their voters aren't going anywhere. Even though Gorilla won a narrow victory, and is the first king since the start of the democracy to have the support of a majority of all voters, still less than 20% of the total population really like him when you get down to brass tacks. Because of this interest in swayable owl voters, in future elections, maybe gorilla wins, maybe leopard wins, but you're going to be more or less locked into this two-party system, even though there was no explicit rule making this some ironclad political reality. And it's also important to realize that this hasn't happened because the animals were lazy or uninformed or that this is the system that they wanted. It's a mathematical reality of the system as it was set up. You can imagine, after decades of this, eventually, snake and turtle voters just say, fuck it, and stay home, because why bother? Fully three-fifths of the animals don't see their political preference reflected in any of the candidates. But unfortunately, we're not done plumbing the awfulness of 1st past the post because there are even more pitfalls. Because if voter preferences are widely known before elections, they're susceptible to gerrymandering. Let's consider an animal neighborhood— Fairly diverse. You got 10 trees. Three trees are solidly in the leopard camp. Three trees are staunch guerrilla voters. But the majority of the trees, four to be precise, are inhabited by those pragmatic and civic minded owls. Now, whoever gets to divide up these trees into voting districts wields an immense amount of power over the electoral process. Let's say you divide up those trees into voting districts of five trees each, and you put three leopards in with two owls and three gorillas in with two owls. Do you see what just happened? Despite the owls being the overall majority in their neighborhood, you've just eliminated them as a viable party because their four divided votes can't possibly overcome the three-vote leopard or gorilla advantage. If gorillas and leopards are in power when those districts are divided up, they have every incentive in the world to do so in a way to give them safe seats that they can effectively never lose. Now, let me depart from the animal kingdom just a bit to say, this is exactly my neighborhood. I live in a densely populated urban area within Cincinnati, but my congressional district is a rural county with a long knife stabbed deep into my neighborhood so that all of my neighbor's votes are diluted with theirs. And my whole city of Cincinnati is carved up like this. It's insane. And here's where the third party types go. Vote for third party. Change the system. Break the gridlock. But alas, you're about to run headfirst into the wood chipper of the final and most pernicious problem with the the first-past-the-post system – The spoiler effect. Back in the animal kingdom, it's been decades of status quo, with leopards and gorillas trading places in power every several elections. Tiger's had enough, and he thinks voters will agree. Entirely too few faces are getting eaten. This affront cannot stand. So with much fanfare, he announces his return to politics, and Tiger voters are fired up. He gets tons of support money, stages an effective campaign, muscles his way into all the important Animal Kingdom debates, and seems primed to make his run. But at the end of the day, at the end of this electoral cycle, he only manages to get 15% of the vote, and Gorilla wins with 49%, with Leopard coming in at a distant second at 36%. Because no way in hell is a monkey ever going to vote for Tiger. I mean, sure, they might take a little shit now and then from Gorilla, but they'll keep their faces, thank you very much. And the centrist owls don't really matter either because of the curse of the third-party candidate. The better the Tiger does in the polls, the weaker Leopard becomes, and the more certain that their most hated candidate will win. And Gorilla, he's no dummy. He knows all this. In fact, you do some digging, you go through his campaign finance receipts with some fine tooth combs, you're going to find that he's funneled some money into Tiger's campaign through political action committees. Because under this fair, common-sense, simple system... What's good for tiger is paradoxically also good for gorilla. But Aaron, those of you who paid attention to history class might be saying, every once in a while third parties do prevail. Well, yes, let's go back and recount the many victories of third parties in the United States. The first two parties to coalesce in the United States were the Democratic, Republicans, and the Federalists. The Federalists supported strong central government, strong ties to Britain, and a close relationship between the government and wealthy businessmen and landowners. But their elitism didn't take well into the fledgling US democracy, and their power was completely broken when they refused to support the war against Britain in 1812 and were quickly replaced by the Whig Party in the Now. You'll note I said replaced, not joined, which is what we'll be discussing after this brief historical interlude. The Democratic Republicans then splintered into the pro-slavery, pro-executive power Democrat Party soon after, which ran in opposition to the Whigs, which argued for the supremacy of the legislative branch over the executive. The Whigs, however, were torn apart over the issue of slavery being replaced by the anti-slavery Republican Party in the 1850s. And that's the last time we had a third party take power from a more established party of the United States. And of course, that's why down to this very day, we have the racist, racist, Pro-executive power Democrats going against the Democratic-minded, pro-civil rights Republicans. What? You don't agree with the characterization of the two parties in the United States? Well, whatever could have happened? Well, let's rewind the tape on the animal kingdom and consider that last possibility, where you had a three-way run between gorilla, leopard, and tiger. Let's say that leopard and gorilla had screwed up so badly, had eaten so many faces, and flung so much poo over the years that disgusted... Owl comes forth for a run and not Tiger. The two parties have become so unpopular that Owl manages to win 36% of the electorate, galvanizing unhappy monkey, tiger, snake, and turtle voters, and winning a narrow majority over the gorilla and leopard, who both get 32%. Who fucking Ray, right? We got a successful third party, but not so fast. Because just because the centrist Owl holds power now, doesn't mean they're going to be able to keep it. Because now they have to govern. And you know what? Owls eat faces too. Mostly vole, weasel, and rat-type faces, but you know, they got constituents too. More importantly, tigers and leopards aren't going to be happy with such meager faces for substance. And while Owl doesn't fling poo, he does shit when he flies, and worse, he vomits up the remains of those faces he eats. And that's not only unpleasant, but it hits subjects indiscriminately, unlike Gorilla, whose poo is targeted. The reality is while we now have this quote-unquote viable third party, the electorate hasn't changed. You still have the same mix of monkey, turtle, snake, leopard, tiger, gorilla, and owl voters you always have. Which means owl is going to have to start making some hard decisions about the face-eating issue. And he's going to have to watch his shit. Because one of two things is going to happen. Over the next several election cycles, he'll consolidate his power and a new stable system will develop around the Owl Gorilla or Owl leopard axis. Or skeptical Gorilla and Leopard voters who gave Al a chance, abandon them when they can't satisfy their political demands any better than the other candidates could. That's how parties realign with the electorate in a 1st past the post system. That's why the party of Lincoln, which 150 years ago were the defenders of the Union and abolishers of slavery struggled to get more than single-digit percentages of the black American vote, and why the Democrats, who as recently as 60 years ago were the party of segregation, Jim Crow, and the KKK, enjoy the consistent support of over 90% of black voters today. The parties have to change and evolve with the times or they are replaced, but they never ever proliferate. So while some progress gets made, you still have a large part of the electorate that feels neither party fairly represents them, and the math behind the system and the way voters rationally engage with that system ensures two parties remain in power. Now this goes a long way to explaining why on average around 50% of the population doesn't bother to vote. You throw in the United States' unique twist of the Electoral College, and a lot of people just throw up their hands and think it's a waste of time to engage. But it's also how we progress as a society, despite being locked in these two parties. The progress is slow, yes, but progressive elements inside the Democratic Party work to pull the party left. Conservative elements inside the Republican Party work to pull the party right. The Overton window, as always, applies. And you can clearly see this in Democratic politics. In 2016, Hillary wrote off universal health care as a pipe dream, but in 2020, Every serious Democratic candidate has some form of universal coverage as a core part of their platform. That's incredibly swift political change right there and a fairly convincing argument against the necessity of third parties. But here's what I find kind of irritating and annoying. You never, ever hear about third parties outside of the national four-year election cycle. Then everyone likes to talk about third parties. Every four years for the past 16, I've had to have this same dumb conversation. The two parties suck. I'm voting green. I'm voting libertarian. I'm refusing to support the lesser of two evils. I'm supporting a third party so they have a better shot at getting federal funding and space on the debate platform next time. Because the system has to change. Now look, I'm not telling people how they should vote. It's, it's like your money. You can invest it in stocks, you can put it in a bank, you can use it to start a business, you can stash it under your mattress, you can put it in a pile and burn it, Joker style. I'm not arguing that you don't have the right to do any of these things with your money as an American, but I can and will question the wisdom of putting your money in a mattress or burning in a pile. because Just because you can do something doesn't mean it's smart or aligns with your espoused goals or values. Voting third party for all of the reasons we've already talked about, is the electoral equivalent of burning your money in a giant pile. It's not going to work. It's just not. And even if it did, it still wouldn't work. Let's say the Republicans continue down their path to stoke racial grievances and rely on gerrymandering and making it harder and harder to vote to maintain power. They continue to appeal to the religious rights until they become such a minority party that the libertarians come in and say, hey, we're the Republicans, but we're anti-war, we're cool with drugs, gays, trans people, and are neutral on the subject of God, and they start winning elections. You're not going to have a new stable equilibrium of Democrats, Republicans, and Libertarians. Eventually, the Libertarians would consume the Republican Party, and former Republicans would be a minority voting block within the larger Libertarian Party trying to pull them Right. Which means the libertarians will have to moderate their positions if they want to remain in power to appeal to those voters. And it's the same with the Greens. Let's say the Democrats continue to do nothing about income inequality. They pay lip service to the threat of climate change, but put the dollar first before the planet. And they take black Americans and other minorities' votes for granted. They continue to support foreign wars and violations of civil liberties and continue to do nothing about taking vast sums of corporate money. The Green Party comes along and says, hey... We're Democrats, except we're actually anti-war. We're going to lead on the environment, even if it's costly. We're going to get serious about doing something to curb gun violence. We're going to commit to working on equal representation, economic fairness. And they start winning elections. You're not going to have a stable axis with the existing two parties, which means Democrats will become a minority bloc within the larger Green Party, which means the Greens will be forced to moderate their positions to remain in power. There's no getting around this under the current American political system. There are two choices that you have. One, change the electorate. The only way I know how to do this is to get out of our bubbles, have difficult conversations, hold our family, friends, co-workers, and communities accountable to facts, reason, and compassion. And in the long term, increases in education is important, too, so you can make headway on all those points. But you got to go out and change those hearts and minds. This is one of the things I'm trying to do with this podcast, and I encourage everyone to do their part as well with whatever voice you have and whatever people that you have sway with. But the second thing you can do is change the process. None of this pissing and moaning about supporting third parties every four years demand real change because there's other ways to count votes. We're not locked into first-past-the-post. Like I said, this isn't something mandated under the United States Constitution. In fact... We don't have to tackle things at the federal level at all, because like many things, the way we hold our elections are left largely to the states and the locales themselves. So, fuck first past the post. There are many other options. Ranked choice is one that I probably like the best. Let me describe it. Imagine instead of like we do today, we go into our voting precincts and we fill in a single checkbox for one candidate. Instead of doing that, imagine that every candidate has a box beside their name and you put in a number that represents your preference for them as leader. So if I'm a monkey voter, I can put him as my first choice, gorilla as number two, Al as number three, and so on and so forth, and I can keep numbering my preferences down until I get to the face-eating party of leopard and lion and tiger at six and seven and so on. So the way the counting process on this works is that if any candidate gets at least 50% of the vote, then they win, the election's over, which neatly solves the issue of minority rule. But if they don't, you eliminate the least popular candidate... Then you find all the votes cast for that defeated candidate, add their secondary choices to the initial votes. Then you get that new tally, check to see if anyone has now crossed that 50% threshold of the vote, and you keep doing that down the line until you get a candidate that has more than half of the votes. This is called an instant runoff system. And it ensures that you can vote for the candidate that you like and not have to worry about that actually leading to the election of the candidate that you hate the most. You can also use this system for elections where you can vote for multiple candidates, for example, city councils and other elected board positions. But instead, they use a system called the single transferable vote. But in the end, you still have a similar system where people's preferences are taken into account so that you don't have to vote defensively. You can vote for who you truly think is the best candidate, not who you think can beat the candidate that you dread the most and still rest easy knowing that you're not throwing your vote away or worse, being a spoiler for a candidate turning your country, state or town over to your worst enemy. The point is, if we want a better system, we need to educate ourselves, then educate our fellow voters and pressure our politicians to adopt these better systems. Now, impossible, I might hear some of you say. No one ever changes. No change like this ever sneaks past the system. But it already has. Maine just did it. In 2018, they changed their constitution to allow ranked choice voting in federal and state elections. And in 2020, they'll be using ranked choice for the first time in the presidential election. Look at Maine, leading the nation. Also, ranked choice is used at various state and city levels. For example, cities such as Oakland and San Francisco, California, Aspen, Colorado, Sarasota, Florida, Minneapolis, Minnesota, New York City, and Santa Fe, New Mexico all use some form of ranked choice voting to elect their local leadership. Now, if I've got you all fired up about alternative voting systems, maybe consider checking out fairvote.org. They are an organization that champions ranked choice and proportionate voting systems and targets both state and federal governments for reform. They've helped introduce legislative proposals such as the Fair Representation Act, which is having trouble getting traction. Fairvote.org has tons of more great information and resources to help you evangelize to your friends and family the many benefits of alternative voting systems, how we can collectively contact and pressure our representatives, and where you can give money to support the cause. Of course... The link to fairvote.org is in the show notes for your convenience. And I'm not saying that this will be easy, but it is worth doing and will long-term lead to successful outcomes, unlike bitching and moaning about third parties and spoilers and wasted votes and voting for the lesser of two goddamn evils like we have to endure every four years. Meanwhile, if you insist on voting for third parties... I really hope you're working at your state and local levels trying to get those preferred parties candidates on the ballot. This kind of stuff works much, much better from the bottom up than from the top down. If you show up every four years just to vote for green or libertarian at the presidential elections, then you really are just pissing your vote away. And if you want to cast a protest vote, fine, but just fess up to it and please show up and vote for the rest of the down ballot races and issues, not just every four years, but every year and all the primaries, too, because if you're not doing that and you're voting third party at the national level, I just don't think you're engaging with the reality of our political system in any kind of meaningful way. And here's a few reasons why this is important. Let's say that I got super butt hurt about Bernie dropping out of the race. And I just stayed home for the last Ohio primary. It just happened a few weeks ago. Actually, I did stay home. But I still voted, thanks to Ohio's extending the mail-in ballot deadline because of this shitty coronavirus business. And I hope that, God, you guys are all paying attention to your state and local races and when these primaries are happening and how things are shifting around because it's going to be real easy for people to be disenfranchised. And it can lead to some real disasters. And it can lead to some real d- political disasters. But let's say... That I had pouted and refused to participate. I care a lot about public transportation. There was a levy to support the Southwest Ohio Regional Transit Authority on this primary ballot. Cincinnati's public transportation, it's not great, but a lot of people rely on it to get around, especially poorer and more disadvantaged people, and refusing to fund it would kill it dead. 130,000 people voted in Cincinnati for this issue, and it passed by a margin of just 625 votes. My son's school district passed a much-needed school levy. Our school district has doubled in size over the last two decades, and yet the last time they raised taxes for school was 20 years ago. If they had failed to pass this levy, our school district would have had the reduced busing, closed their libraries, fired several dozen teachers, defunded their arts and after-school programs. It was a real nightmare scenario. And to our community's credit, it passed, but with 13,000 people voting, it won by just under 600 votes. Now, our school administrators, I think, worked really hard. They put on lots of webinars and in-person educational meetings to walk parents and citizens through their budgets, where the needs were, how the additional funding will be used. And some of the surrounding districts weren't so lucky because several of the more rural school districts around here lost their levies by under 200 votes. And this is the shit that's killing America. If nothing changes, these rural and even suburban areas are going to have worse and worse schools, worse and worse outcomes and economies. And the rural and urban divide that causes so much harm and friction is just going to continue to deepen. Now that we've had a detour of state and local politics, let's return back to the top of the ticket. In 2016, the state of Michigan was won by Donald Trump by the slimmest of margins. 4,548,382 votes were cast in Michigan. Trump won by a margin of 10,704. That's a margin of 0.2%. 10,704 votes. Jill Stein, the Green Party candidate, received 51,463 votes. In Pennsylvania, there were 6,165,478 votes cast. Clinton lost by a mere 44,292 votes, a margin of just 0.7%. Jill Stein there received 49,941 votes. In Wisconsin, there were 2,976,150 votes total cast. Trump won by just 22,748 votes, a margin of, again, just 0.7%. And there, Jill Stein received 31,072 votes. If the vote in these three states had gone the other way, we'd have had a President Clinton. Our nation would still be participating in the Paris Agreement. We'd still have a nuclear oversight treaty with Iran. Obamacare would still be funded. We'd have a coordinated, rational, evidence-based response to the coronavirus, bolstered by dozens of CDC epidemic labs and teams spread across the world, instead of a man who denies it's a problem until it's too late, wonders aloud whether we can shoot disinfectant and sunshine into people, and then eventually gets bored with it altogether and just tries to ignore it, hoping it's going to go away. We'd also have two more Supreme Court justice picks to our liking and hundreds of circuit and district judges. And we also probably wouldn't have body-armed goons emboldened by President Trump and the holding state legislators hostage by armed force. And for what? What political objective has the Green Party met with its 1.4 million total votes in 2016 and $3.5 million raised? How have they helped people? How have they helped the environment? How is our nation in any way healthier or smarter for all that effort? I'm not going to pretend another Clinton presidency would have been perfect. I mean, maybe we don't win back the House in 2018. That would be bad. Maybe Clinton gets perpetually mired in political scandal as Republicans in the House and Senate ramp up their ongoing investigations into her emails and Benghazi. Benghazi, of course, the noted national disaster in which Clinton's unique incompetence and casual cruelty killed four Americans. But now, instead, we got a guy who's racking up a 9-11 per day death count and spending trillions of dollars with zero oversight or apparent concern from his own party. I don't get it. I just don't get it. I've lost friends over this shit, the same as I've lost friends over environmental denials, 9-11 truth or conspiracy bullshit, racist and sexist bullshit. Everyone's entitled to their opinions, but no one's entitled to their own facts. So like I said... Vote for whoever you want to. It's your right as an American. I'm not saying that you cannot vote third party. In fact, I can think of several good moral arguments for voting third party or abstaining from voting at the presidential level or at other levels that the race is such a scandal mired shit show that you can't in good conscience support either viable side. But I can't think of one good reason for not voting at all. I just can't excuse someone who stays home and just fucks their education system or the environment or minorities or doesn't support a potential rising progressive star in a down ballot race. If you're not going to play the game by its own rules, just own your choices. Don't pretend like it's anything but a protest vote because it's not and it can't ever be anything but. Or just say, hey, I'm voting for hell in a handbasket because of some kind of Westworld type notion that only through the flames of fire can we progress. I mean, I don't agree, but I can at least wrap my head around that. But if you choose to deliberately color outside the political lines for whatever moral reason, I think those same rules of morality would force you to put in at least some work at reforming our system so we can stop this stupid shit, lesser of two evil stuff. I think you better be spreading the word about fairvote.org, signing up to their mailing list, writing a few letters to your state and federal representatives and senators, maybe for donating to green or libertarian candidates. Send some matching funds their way, because even if you want hell in a handbasket, shit, what if reform actually works? What if we can avoid the whole hell thing? If all you're doing is pulling a lever for a third party at a federal level, then you're doing less than nothing. And I'm sorry it's just math. And I'm sorry if that stings because it certainly stung for me. Like I said at the beginning, I used to be a big third party guy. I love me some libertarians. I love thinking to myself, well, at least I'm not part of the problem. And like all these other goddamn sheep. But I was part of the problem. I was so part of the problem, I couldn't correctly diagnose the problem in the first place. But hey, thanks to CGP Grey, now I know better and I can do better, and now so can you. Thanks so much for sticking with me through the end of this podcast. I can't ever promise this will be a fun podcast to listen to because, again, and I can't stress this enough, even if things go our way in 2020... We still have such a long road ahead to get this nation where we all know it needs to be. I think it's going to take something like 30 years, and there's going to be a lot of setbacks and a lot of disappointments. There's going to be a lot of tough decisions. There's going to be a lot of expense. We're going to have to start talking tough about building seawalls and desalination plants the way things are going. And if we manage to finish the project in our own nation, then it's time to start getting the work leading the entire world towards that Star Trek future us upstart apes think we deserve. So this week is actually super exciting for me. Thursday, I'm going to be having a live discussion with a gentleman called Bastiat, who is one of the rising political stars of YouTube and Twitch. He's a lawyer, a neoliberal, and we're going to mix it up on the subjects of futurism and economics, if socialism will ever be a viable system, the problem of billionaires, democratization of the workplace, among many other things. He's a super nice guy, a bit to my right politically, but he's smart, he's got a good heart, and even better hair. Boy, let me say, he's really got it over on me on that department. But nevertheless, I'm looking forward to seeing if I can hold my own against him. You can watch us talk live this Thursday, May 14th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on twitch.tv slash Bastiat. Link in the comments, of course, and I'll be posting my copy of the video to SwizzBold's YouTube, and I'll be using the audio in an upcoming podcast. Also... Starting with 3 Right Turns 14, which will be the next episode out in a few weeks, I'm going to do a six-week test run of a weekly 3 Right Turns episode. I've got so many interesting interviews already recorded, so many more lined up. I think I can sustain this pace, but also, it's just an incredible amount of work on top of my day job, so we're going to see. I'm committing to these six weeks, and we'll see where it goes from there. I also think these live shows and guest spots with other people are going to become a regular thing. So if you want to keep up with them, I hope you're following uh, Swizzbold and lurking on our subreddit at reddit.com slash r Swizzbold and following at Swizzbold on all the social medias. Like I said, this is a lot of work, and if you'd like to send some material appreciation for the work that me, Cecily, and Jim do at Swizzbold, please check out our page at Patreon.com/Swizzbold. You'll get access to bonus content like our monthly live streams and complete archive of the same, special recognition, and you keep us keeping on. I'd also like to personally offer thanks to our Fred level patrons: Laura Luthy, Mark Hahn, Angelo Morano, Jared Harleman, George P. Burdell, Kira Grusho. Arvin Rao and Greg Rasp. Thanks for believing in us and for your generous support. I'll be back next week with Cecily on one weird trick to talk about how we can all lead happier and more successful lives when it comes to families, careers, relationships, and sex. And of course, I'll be returning in two more weeks with more Three Right Turns. Until then, vote what your heart and head dictate, but please, please work with me and fairvote.org to more closely align those two axes. Yeah? Have a great week.